Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. As we think about 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 21 to 22, where the Apostle Paul calls us to test all things, hold fast that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. In other words, the Apostle Paul calls believers to test before they trust. And so today we discuss another teaching espoused or popularized by the World Faith Movement that has been used in the name of encouraging believers who suffer, but actually is premised on a misinterpretation of Bible passages. This is a popular teaching that has been advanced by the World Faith Movement. For those of you who may not be familiar with the World Faith Movement, or what in Africa we normally call the Prosperity Gospel, we could define it as a group of preachers, teachers, or even churches that put great emphasis on worldly success and the power of the Christian to control their own future through positive confession. It is the teaching that God wants his people to be healthy, wealthy, and happy all the time, and that speaking the right words in faith will somehow compel God to deliver on his part of the covenant or promises. So God wants believers to be rich and healthy and wealthy and happy, but they must confess positively, they must act in a certain kind of faith in order for God to deliver. According to this teaching, sickness, poverty and other struggles are seen as a lack of faith, or at least as a poor application of it. Many word faith preachers are known to twist the scriptures to show that God is going to make us debt-free, stress-free, trouble-free, prosperous, and give us a life that is abundant. But the channel to acquiring this, there is a certain kind of faith that one must exercise in order for them to access these blessings of wealth and health and happiness. And for these preachers or teachers, this faith is usually redefined from a trust in a holy and sovereign God despite our circumstances, to a way of controlling or manipulating God to give us what we want. In this case, faith is seen as a force whereby we can get what we want rather than abiding in Christ as our object or source of faith. We believe in a certain way that can cause God to do what we want him to do rather than having an abiding trust in God to meet our needs according to his own will and love and mercy. One of the most commonly misused Bible verses to promote this comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 17. And according to Romans chapter 4, verses 17, we read, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So according to some of the word faith preachers, when they read Romans chapter 4 verse 17, there are a number of things they get out of the passage that form their theology of faith 
that inform their response to the promises of God and that forms their basic understanding of the believer's right to claim blessings and riches from God. There are a number of things that are gathered from this passage by word faith preachers. Number one is that they would like to convince you that God himself needs faith, that God himself uses faith, that in order for God to accomplish things, he himself must believe and must confess according to what he believes in order for things to happen. For instance, when they think about Genesis 1, where it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you read that God said and it was done. God said and it was done. So what faith preachers will tell you, that God himself believed that what he said could happen, and then he spoke it by the words of his mouth and it came to be. According to this teaching, God does all his works by faith, and since we believers are created in his image, we also must speak words of faith to accomplish whatever we want, just like God did at creation. That as believers, there is power in the words that we confess and declare, following how God did at creation, and that when we do that, that not only do we get what we want from God, but we control the circumstances of our lives. So, for instance, one would have to believe and confess that they have healing before the body can begin to show symptoms of health or symptoms of healing. If you are sick, you need to keep confessing that you are not sick, that you are healed, that you are healthy, that your body is okay. And as you confess and claim healing on yourself, then this healing will actually take place. According to this teaching, someone has observed that believers are called upon to speak God's word over their finances, over their bodies, over their cars, and then they will see miraculous results to their benefit. What they are saying is that all you need is confession and enough faith, and God will transform the physical realm into the environment of blessing, that we can speak those things that are not as though they are and sit back and enjoy the fruits of our words. I am sure that some of you have probably heard some of the following statements made by popular word faith preachers, things like, you can have what you say. The reason you haven't been healed is that you don't have enough faith. Or they may say, we can write our own ticket with God if we decide what we want and believe that it is ours, confess it and declare it. You'll hear some saying, God wants you to be rich and healthy. It's your right to have everything you need. And in fact, if you don't have them, then it's you who has failed yourself by not confessing what you believe. Some might even ask you, what is the desire of your heart? Name it, claim it by faith, and boom, it is yours. Your father has promised it. It's a right. And they will even point out some Bible verses that seem to suggest that you actually have a right to get whatever you want from God. I personally used to be part of a church that taught us to hold other people's car keys and claim that we will have our own cars within a very short period of time. And as you can imagine, we prayed, we held different car keys of different people in our church, and we declared and decreed that our own cars would come as soon as possible. But for many of us who did not get the things that we confessed, 
We were told that we either lacked faith, we did not have enough faith to actualize what we believed God for, or that we needed a point of contact for the miracle to happen. And as you can imagine, the point of contact meant money, that we needed to sow a seed, that we needed to give to the man of God and test God and see if God would not give us everything that we wanted to have. So in summary, they look at Romans 4.17 and rationalize it as if God has faith and uses it to call into existence things that are not. And based on the same model and pattern, that believers will do the same things. That believers are called to have the same kind of faith that God had and exercise it as God exercised it during creation. And that as we have the faith of God or exercise the, the God kind of faith, then we are able to access and actualize whatever it is we need. But if we think for a moment, what does Romans 4.17 really, really say? Does it, for instance, say that God has faith or that God needs faith to do anything or accomplish something? Are we called, as some word faith preachers have said, are we called to have the faith of God or are we called by the scriptures to have faith in God who has the power to do things? When we come before God in prayer, where is the source of the power that really answers our prayers? Is that power in us as we confess the things that we need or want? Or is that power in God such that when we come to pray, we actually come to ask the God who has that power to make things happen, to make them happen in our very own lives? When as Christians we do not understand the source of the power, we are likely to misread, misunderstand, and misapply, especially Romans chapter 4 verse 17, and the consequences of a misapplied verse can certainly not be good. If we claim promises that are based on a verse that has been misinterpreted, that God has not promised to give us, not only will we not see those promises come to pass, but we will be disappointed and disillusioned, and we might be left wondering whether God still answers prayer, or if there was a problem with the way we asked as being the reason as to why we never received. And remember that word faith preachers are usually on the ready to tell you that should you not receive what you have claimed or confessed, the problem is in you. You've not prayed well, maybe you have not prayed longer, maybe you have not uh, uh, exercised enough faith, maybe you did not give to the man of God to establish a point of contact for a miracle. There will always be reason they will give you as to why God is not meeting your needs. But could it be that maybe God has not been answering your prayers because of the way you have approached it in prayer? Which is why Romans 4.17 becomes important for us to look at as a verse that has been promoted by word faith preachers as the foundation for the kind of faith that they preach today. For us to understand what this verse says, it might be important for us to read from verses 17 to the end of the chapter in verses 22 so that we can establish some bit of context. So let me read from verses 17 of chapter 4. And we hear what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. This is what he says. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, 
who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Praise the Lord. Now, having read those verses, it is important that we ask ourselves, what is the Apostle Paul saying to the believers in the church at Rome? What is the context of Romans chapter 4? As you will observe carefully, you will notice that Romans chapter 4 is not about the believer's power to access riches and wealth and health. It is neither about the believer's exercise of supernatural faith to get his will and bidding. On the contrary, Romans chapter 4 is a chapter that deals with justification. And the question that the Apostle Paul seeks to answer is how does justification happen and how does salvation come to God's people even as they listen to him in the church at Rome? In this chapter, the Apostle Paul uses the example of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. For instance, he picks out David and picks out Abraham. And in this particular context, we look at the example of the patriarch Abraham. As we see his relationship with God, the basis and object of that relationship, and the results that come out of that relationship. In this chapter, we see the Apostle Paul contrast faith and works, contrast grace and the law, contrast resurrection power and human effort, contrast or show that justification is not the work of a man, rather of God, and can only be responded to by faith in God. Not faith in me, the Christian, not faith in us as a church, but faith in God and what he has promised to do. In this chapter, we will see the Apostle Paul explain who this great God of Abraham is and what it is that makes him not only make promises to Abraham, but bring them to fulfillment against all orders. According to Paul, this is the God who brings the dead back to life. This is the God who creates things out of nothing. The God who considers things to be existing even before they have come to pass. Like when he promises a son to Abraham, even though Abraham is already of age and is not able to have children. He is the God who not only raises the dead back to life, but will actually show that power as he has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, on whom the believers in the church at Rome have come to put their trust. This God is the God who gives those who are dead in sin and trespasses a new life in Christ, eternal life in him. In other words, as the Apostle Paul introduces this God, who makes it possible for people to be saved, not only does he talk about the fact that he can give Abraham a child in spite of his age, 
that he reminds us that he is the God who has power to raise people from the dead and especially Jesus Christ our Lord who is the object of our faith and who in whom we find the promises of our own resurrection. In this chapter, Paul maintains that Abraham's obedience, Abraham's good works, were the fruit of his unquestioning, saving faith in God, which itself, by the way, is a free gift of God and not the human effort or work of Abraham. The Apostle Paul will show that Abraham's faith is not faith in him, as what faith preachers would want us to believe. Rather, that the object of Abraham's faith was God. Not, not in himself, not in his own confession, but that Abraham understood who God is. Abraham understood that God had promised him something. And that this promise, although not yet actualized, would one day come to be, and that that would happen no matter what. Which is why Abraham not only trusted God for a moment, but continued trusting in him and would not waver, no matter what was telling him that it was impossible that he could never have a child at his age. I want you to note, friends, that this text presents God as the only one who can make the unreal real, the non-existent into existence. And this is the God who is the basis, the foundation, the object of Abraham's faith. Abraham believed in God. He had faith in God. Now, I am aware that some word faith preachers might translate that phrase to mean that Abraham has the faith of God. And what they are trying to say is that God himself had faith and all Abraham did was to exercise the same faith that God uses and then he declared whatever he wanted in, into existence. But when we look at this passage, this passage is not really about Abraham. Abraham appears as one who responded in faith to what God was doing. The whole text is about what God said, what God promised, what God is doing by his own power and how justification became possible for Abraham, not by his personal effort, but by what God was doing. Paul directly says that Abraham believed God and precisely because it was God who gives life to the dead, not Abraham, not in his faith. This has nothing to do with what Abraham confessed or decreed. It has nothing to do with whether Abraham had faith like God as though God needed faith or not. But what we see here is that Paul introduces a God of supernatural power and wonder, the kind of God who decrees and does not need to believe in anyone or anything, but the God who promises and performs. In verse 21, we are reminded that Abraham was fully convinced that it was God who was able to do what he had promised. Not Abraham's doing, not Abraham's confession, not Abraham's decrees, and that is why in verse 21, Abraham can give God glory and not himself. Abraham himself understands that his faith is based on God's word and promises and not on his personal confession. Therefore, as believers today, we must understand or recognize that Romans 4.17 is really not about the power of our words. It is not about the power of our confession or what we say. It is about the power of God's promises 
and his faithfulness to keep those promises. That God not only speaks of things that have not yet happened, but he sees to wait that they are fulfilled. Romans 4.17 therefore is not speaking about us speaking positive confessions or declaring certain things to happen in our lives. This passage is about God, how he sovereignly calls his people, how he sovereignly and miraculously makes sure that his promises to his people come to pass regardless of the circumstances that surround them. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 is highlights the power of God who is at the center of our salvation, reminds us that salvation is exclusively of God, and those who become believers become so not because of their confession or declarations, but become so because of the exclusive grace of God that is received as we respond to his grace in faith, as we respond to what he has promised, and an acknowledgement of how God works to bring this kind of salvation is what brings us to that confession like Abraham of giving God the glory. That he was convinced. Convinced of what? That God was able to do what? To fulfill his promises. This is not about the man of God being able. This is not about believers being able to bring about the promises to pass. It is God who is able. It is God in whom our faith must be based. It is God who will bring these promises to pass as he did for Abraham and Sarah when he opened her barren womb and when he brought Abraham's dead body into life that he could be able to father a child. The passage is all about God and his work of salvation as he does it through his promise of his word, through his power that he resurrects people even from the dead and Abraham understanding that not only gives God the glory, not only is he convinced that God will do it, but he refuses to waver or to weaken in faith even when he is challenged by diverse circumstances. And at the end of it all, Abraham recognizes that only God makes wonders, that only God makes things happen, that only God answers prayer. And if one must receive answers to his prayer, they cannot just move around seven times confessing what they want, but they must instead submit and surrender to the only God, who not only answers prayer, but answers prayer considered impossible by human beings. Impossible to the extent that he even calls the dead back to life, that he even calls the things that are not seen to be realized, the things that have not yet been created into existence. That is what Romans chapter 4 really is about. But what faith preachers come to this passage, they misread it, and instead of looking at God as the object of our faith and trust, they look at him as though he himself needed faith. And they claim that we, like God, should exercise the same faith that calls things into existence and call whatever we want to, to happen in our lives. There could never be any more absurd teaching than that. Brothers and sisters, I would like to seriously challenge you. If you are one of those who have been approaching this passage as though it's all about you, to realize that the secret to answer the prayer does not lie in you or in your confessions. It is not about what you say or don't say. 
It's about your patient, persevering response to what God has promised. Like Abraham believing that when God speaks, he will bring to fruition. And that in spite of the circumstances all around you. Would you instead humble yourself and trust the Lord? Instead believing the, the, the shortcuts of the word faith preachers that seem to offer encouragement, that seem to offer positive results, when actually they are fantasies that will never come to pass because they are not based on God's word and promises. Would you instead trust in this God that our father in the faith Abraham trusted? Would you trust him even when circumstances all around you seem to be speaking the opposite? But instead remember that when God speaks, he fulfills no matter what, and then wait upon him. When trying times come our way, it is very common that we will want to look for shortcuts. We will want to solve our problems in the quickest way possible. And in moments like those, we are taken advantage of by people who claim to be speaking on behalf of God, who claim to have a special power or faith that can make things happen quickly. And instead of waiting upon God, as the scriptures tell us, to patiently wait upon God, we run after men of God who seem to offer instant things. And before we realize it, not only have we been misled away from the promises of God's word, but we have been taken advantage of, we have been fleeced of our money and belongings, as it has happened to so many people, especially in one faith churches. May I encourage you to put your trust in God. Trusting God does not mean that challenges will not come. Trusting in God does not mean that you won't fall sick or you won't lack. But trusting in God means that it, you are sure that no matter what you are going through, God is aware, God cares, God has promised to save you and to provide you for you and to protect you, and he will in his own time to his glory, and he might use ways that are even beyond your understanding or imagination. He might work within what you know or even beyond your capabilities and comprehension, but that we serve a God who does not change his mind concerning his promises. Abraham understood this and he waited upon God and he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief would make him waver concerning the promise of God on the contrary, as challenge upon challenge came his way, as waves of doubt swept his mind, he grew strong in faith and he gave God the glory. Why? Did he give God the glory because he had received answers to his prayer? No, but because he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, no matter what, no matter how long, no matter where and when. And that is why, my friends, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Do you want to be like Abraham, our father in the faith? Do you want to also be counted as righteousness? You must learn to wait upon God. You must trust in God as the object, the anchor and foundation of your faith. You must realize that God is the only one through whom you can realize your desires and your needs and that he who has promised is faithful and is able to do it. May the Lord encourage you as you listen to his word and as you take time to meditate on it and to seek to apply it in your life as it has been given, not as some of our popular preachers would like you to believe. May God keep you. 
To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.